Yeah. So if you're feeling and you're listening right now and saying, oh, I don't think I've healed with my father or mother about that or a past relational, then you probably haven't. And even if you cried a bunch, sometimes I think we think, well, if I grieved about it enough, I'm healed. But if it's still impacting, it's still influential and we still feel those triggers. If you're having near panic attacks in the midst of a positive relationship, that's a sign there's some massive healing that still needs to be done. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I wanted to wrap up our celebration of National Unmarried and Single Americans Week with a fan favorite and my favorite guest, of course, psychotherapist Elliot Anderson. When I was considering what I wanted Elliot to share, I thought about all the couples he's worked with over the years, and he has seen it all. From those who just needed some tools to get through a rough patch, to couples who could barely stand to be in the same room together, to those who've become violent and abusive. I wondered, what would Elliot want to say to singles to help them avoid the pain he witnesses in his office every day? What do we need to know now, as singles, to prepare ourselves for a solid, lifelong partnership? and prevent ourselves from marrying the wrong person. Elliot answers this question and shares a lot more wisdom right after this. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. Elliot, welcome to the program. Thanks a lot. Glad to be back. Yes. And I wanted to have you wrap up our National Unmarried and Single Americans Week because, full disclosure, you are the number one listen to episode. And I get so much great feedback when you're on. The listeners really resonate with what you have to offer. And so often we're talking about relationships. We've talked about anxious attachment. We've talked about avoidant attachment. We've talked about a lot of the couples you work with. And I was thinking, in terms of the single life, which we're focusing on this week, I know so much of what you see with your couples that you work with, so much of that harkens back to that independent single life and some of those challenges they were dealing with even in that context. Yes, thank you to your listeners also for giving such great feedback and honoring us, the sibling bond as well, listening to our podcast. As you know, most of my work has been with couples or with men. But since I started coming on with you regularly, I have received the, the blessing of working with many of your ladies, mm-hmm. and most of them are single. And so that's been a, a really enjoyable process. So whether I'm working with couples through my own ministry outtakes or working with singles that have come through your podcast or other connections, certainly our individualistic heart, soul, and mind are always foundational. Mm-hmm. 
whether it's psychoanalytic or Adlerian or any of these that focus on the self first, how we respond, how we review, how we reflect, it's all, all tied in. And so in particular, when I'm working with couples in crisis, we often have to break down back into individual singular thoughts, ideas, false beliefs, negative assumptions, a lot of cognitive behavioral stuff as well. Yeah, because I think those thoughts and you know how much I love our CBT, so often those thoughts end up driving us to make decisions in partnership that maybe aren't the best decision. And I know you see that with your couples. You were you and I were talking a little bit beforehand that some of the folks, and in fact, someone you've been working with just this week, you're seeing real traumatic experiences in marriage that you know, as a single person, when I was single, and I know a lot of my listeners, you imagine that, okay, when I'm married, then I won't feel lonely anymore. I will have that that sense of connection that I deeply desire. And I think we're wired to deeply desire. So I think it's perfectly legitimate to want that. And yet, if some of these beliefs of, oh, will I be alone forever? Or I guess this is as good as it gets. Or maybe at some deep level, I don't deserve anything better than this. It can lead us to make a decision to move forward with a relationship that really is not healthy. Yeah, whether a young person or a young woman 17 or 37 and has a desire to be in a relationship, a committed couple relationship in a romantic way, there's still those core assumptions and beliefs about self and the connectivity need to belong to something or somebody that often will make us sacrifice our authentic self. So, of course, in hindsight, with couples that have been married four, five, six, ten years and now going through a traumatic divorce, abuse, addiction recovery, any of those things, they often look back and can find particular points where they knew something was wrong or wasn't right mm-hmm. and deflect it, negate it, ignore it, or flat out just override their own self. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's... We don't want to be self-absorbed and egocentric, obviously. We want to have a heart for others, of course. But certainly when you're looking at some of the issues that you're dealing with with these couples and you see probably oftentimes two really good people who just aren't meant to be in partnership because they they aren't bringing out the best in each other. Or sometimes you probably have someone who's, for whatever reason, this person is really on a path of destruction, whether it's through an addiction or whether it's through their own trauma that they experienced as a child, and now they're taking that pain and spewing it onto their partner. I'm sure that most people don't enter a relationship and go, I'm going to be horribly cruel and evil to this person. Yet that happens. Yeah. And I think sometimes the foundation of loneliness or feeling isolated and alone does make us vulnerable to take decisions that are outside of our authentic self. And so a particular woman I worked with this past weekend was talking about that there was a physiological understanding psychological, emotional, mental, spiritual, all of it, that she was making the wrong choices as she went, but was so alone, felt so isolated, so removed, that she basically made an agreement with self to compromise. Um, Not just compromise with a particular relationship, but really compromise them behaviors and beliefs and thoughts. And even when all the environmental cues around her, uh, a great family, uh, sibling relationships, best friends who all were pretty upfront within the first six, seven weeks. This isn't right. It's not healthy. I don't think this can be good for you. Blocked it all. And that led to really significant challenges, divorce, trauma, and a long healing process. Some of the single women I work with as well that have not necessarily been divorced, but one in particular I'm thinking of who was divorced, 
and now has tried to enter back into the dating scene and really has a, a right and a righteous hunger for a marriage that is positive and holistic after that divorce and after entering back in, the lack of trust in self, lack of forgiveness for self was just as damaging as picking guys that maybe were coming on with this full court press, this uh, love bombing mm-hmm. that seemed hard to turn down, hard to not enjoy that that ride. But then recognizing all of a sudden these patterns are back. And my husband, I divorced, was an alcoholic, and now it appears this new man has an alcohol problem but he's so loving and gracious and kind. I can get through it until you can't. And then all of a sudden you have to have that validation of self again to say, Hey, I already did some work healing. I understand the ramifications of these decisions. I'd said alcohol in this way is an issue for me. Now that it's apparent, I have to act upon it. Mm -hmm. And I think getting back to that sense of being able to trust yourself in the examples you just gave, we have one woman who, despite even, input from friends and family, people who love her best and know her best. And she still went forward because that deep, maybe void that she was feeling that somehow she had worked it out in her mind that it was better to fill that void, to have that person with her by her side, even if that relationship was to everyone's, I mean, from even all people externally could see that it was not healthy. And then this woman you're speaking about Also having, I know those patterns now. I know what it's like to be with an alcoholic and I'm committing to myself to honor myself and love myself and respect myself enough to not go down that road again. But still, unfortunately, those patterns can be really strong. Yeah, and getting things out of the subconscious into the conscious. So with some of the clients that have come through your podcast and and your ministry, some really high caliber quality women, very impressive professionally, and understand themselves. There's not even a lack of self-awareness, okay. but sometimes that unconscious falsification of self or what I deserve or what I need or, or what I really want. And so sometimes the work is simply to do some transactional writing and structure and creating grids and understanding of, hey, how am I attacking this relational way in a way that is not true to self? Where am I sacrificing? Where am I committing to things I shouldn't commit to? And if there is great success in other areas of their life, transferring similar processes into the relational and the romantic, it sounds transactional and it it sounds a little concrete, but it's so helpful to allow the soul and the heart to mix with the mind and and total alignment rather than saying, well, I know better, but I keep going in that direction. Or to say, well, my feelings are so bad, but my head says this is okay. There's got to be complete alignment so you're paying attention to all areas. It sounds like, and when you say transactional, what do you exactly mean by that? I mean, we're like writing stuff down. So it's like, it feels more academic and process rather than let's be inspired to make better decisions. Well, sometimes we got to get it out, the different parts of the brain, write it out, talk it out, feel it out. And even on the spot say, hey, there's healing needed right here. With the woman I I talked about earlier from a more recent divorce, we talked about the need for self-forgiveness. She's actually able to forgive her abusive husband quite easily, but she hadn't forgiven herself for compromising her standards and, okay. and choosing with someone who was negative rather than alone. And, and so we're working on that piece. And sometimes that includes writing things out. Where do we need to forgive ourselves? How do we allow the Lord to bring this? She's a Christian woman. How do we allow the Lord to come into it? Make sure you feel forgiven by him as well. Not forgiven for even the behaviors that happen, but forgiven for the choices, or forgiven for the internals to say, well, I am going to trust this relationship that I know is not right, right over what I know is biblically right and what I know is right through my parents and my sister and my 
Right. Those are those are pretty difficult decisions that happen that kind of fracture the soul. And so sometimes we have to heal self, forgive self, which can sound transactional. That's what I meant by that. Yeah. Well, when you speak about kind of taking these nebulous forgiveness and, and these nebulous concepts and trying to concretize them is really, mm-hmm. I think what I'm hearing you say as well. And it reminds me of an episode I did quite a while ago with Dr. Rhonda Freeman, who's a neuropsychologist. And she talked about something that I think is really interesting getting back to the the brain chemistry and the, and the neural processes at work. She said, journaling is great, but she said, do it in the third person. Mm-hmm. And that activates something. And I can't remember exactly what she said, but there's, it activates a little bit of, it pulls you into more objective, looking down on yourself, so to speak. So if I say, Karen didn't listen to her inner voice. She didn't listen to what mm-hmm. she knew was true. She didn't listen to her mom and dad. She didn't listen to her brothers. And she made decisions in a relationship that didn't serve her and that yes. didn't honor God and all these things. If I put it in the third person, it's helpful. It, what she said is it helps us have a little more grace. And with that, I'm assuming with grace, that helps with that self-forgiveness. Yeah. And I, and I think the narrative exposure is not just verbalizing, but it's writing down. It's both areas, different parts of the brain. Sure. And then talking them out loud. Mm. So it, it's it's both, and then in, in certain instances, so saying things like Karen forgives herself for this, and the Lord forgives me to put the spiritual mm-hmm. on top of that as well, and kind of bring that all in culmination. So sometimes the narrative exposure is simply listening for an hour and a half while someone shares mm-hmm. their pain and shares their trauma, and and walking through that all over again. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of releasing this stuff, but there's still so much pain there that has to get out. And often we don't know how to heal ourselves. Mm-hmm. We know we need healing. We know it's entering into new relationships. And sometimes we need a therapist, a, a partner to heal. Well, yeah. And that's what you've been able to do so much through your entire career. Getting back to that notion of what you've seen with couples, I'm just thinking about if I'm a single woman, which I was for so many years, as my audience knows, and I'm listening to someone who works with couples and has for 30 years, I'm thinking, okay, what have you seen in the present day that me on this end of things, remaining single at this point, And I always try to encourage my community that, yes, I know what it feels like to wait a lot longer than you wanted to, to find your person, but there are strengths along the way. And one of them is that we can look and see what other folks are struggling with and go, okay, how can I make sure I don't step into that same realm? So if you thought of like a couple like concrete tips for the single woman listening today, to make sure that she's comes to your office someday more with just like a kind of spit and polish issue mm-hmm. as opposed to like fundamentally this relationship should have never happened in the first place. And while trying to do marital therapy with two people who really weren't meant to be together, that's now in a, a different animal that we're dealing with. Yeah, I think there's a, a need and I think you'll recognize this from your own dating experience. <laughs> you can to, make throw it on me now, aren't you? Just a tiny bit. <laughs> but just to recognize what is our authentic self and and within that authentic self, what do I really need from, in your case, a man in my life mm-hmm. that I want to partner with? And, you know, you and I had many conversations that, hey, this guy's nice, cool, maybe has some good gifts and thoughts, but to the outside, to your psychologist brother and your godly parents and your godly other brother, we didn't quite see the match. Mm-hmm. And though the relationship was okay mm-hmm. and you were loving well, you've always been a good lover, you were loving well there's this contextual framework around and said, well, this isn't best. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes I think we're, and when I work with marriages, I'm going to, I'll bring it back to the single. Don't let me free it. But <laughs> when I work with couples and they come in and they say something like, Hey, we just want this to work out. I'm like, well, I'm not your right therapist. I, I want this to be great. 
That's what the Lord wants from us as well, is a great relationship. It's a reflection of God in the church. So let's not work on a marriage that's just okay or just going to make it. Let's make it great. And sometimes if we've been single for a long time or lonely for a long time, we're like, man, I'll just take a good steady man. Mm -hmm. Rather than say, no, I need the great man. I need the one that is best for me. Mm -hmm. And so some of your really high-powered clients that have come through your podcast, they're, they're coaching relationships and people too. So I don't have to like teach them about that part at all. It's like saying, hey, where is this upper standard that you know is right for you? And then absolutely refusing to take anything else. That's hard to do mm-hmm. when you're lonely, when you're sick and tired, when you're feeling frustrated and isolated. That is really challenging. So in the earlier stages of singleness, trying to, in your own heart and soul, even have a picture of what this man would look like or a picture of what this woman would look like and really create that vision, believe in that vision, and then be able to evaluate quickly. Mm-hmm. One of the other clients that came from your podcast, we, she talked about that, where she has a really clear idea now about what she wants, but then all of a sudden that energy kicks and her desire for what she wants is so strong that it can blind her. Mm. And so there's where my contact with her has been very helpful because then she'll come right back in that next weekly session and walk through it. And we can say, hey, here's perfect fit. Here's where we know there's work. And it doesn't mean you end it if there's just one area that doesn't fit, but we got to bring it up. We can't deny it. We can't push it. We can't repress it. Bring that issue up ahead of time. That mm-hmm. happened with a couple just yesterday where they recognized some differences in, in career aspirations and intellectual capacity. And is this something we can work on or is this going to be a bigger mm-hmm. gap as life continues? And it, again, it doesn't mean end the relationship, but to think that that's not going to matter is ignorant. Mm-hmm. And so I was bringing it forward. Let's talk about this. What does this mean? You know, the research talks about incredible gaps in economics, in education, in spiritual, those things do matter mm-hmm. in successful relationships. So sometimes we have to look at those up front, not after we're a year and a half committed and go, oh my goodness, now I'm completely immersed with the family, with the connection, the relationships, but I know this isn't right. What do I do? And some of the couples I work with on the divorce side now are saying, I knew even when the engagement happened, I knew it wasn't right. Even when the marriage and honeymoon happened, I knew it wasn't right. Even after the kids came, I knew it wasn't right, but kept going and going and going. So normally some kind of fragmentation of soul takes place. There's a massive crisis meltdown and the recovery from that is years. When you speak to that, there's so much that comes up for me. First, I think about the woman who's listening and going, and I think I felt that at times too. When you've had that prolonged time where serial monogamy in this relationship for a couple months, couple years, and it didn't work out. And then another one didn't work out. Sometimes you get in that space of how can I truly believe anymore? How can I maintain that hope? Mm -hmm. And you're talking about your authentic self and you start to then doubt your authentic self. And I've talked about that quite a bit on the, on the podcasts. And I remember even one time praying to God in my late twenties when I was having this dry spell. And I remember saying, God, I, I just want someone who's loving and kind, like, I don't even care if he's all that good looking. I don't even care. Like those don't matter. And that, and I agree with myself a little bit, but also I was already starting to water down what I thought God had available for me. Basically saying, God, I don't have to be that attracted to him. Well, God's saying, yes, you do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's part of the way I designed this union. You are And then the research backs that, of course. Yes, of course. Right. Exactly. The research. I mean, we're not supposed to just be like, well, he's okay. Mm -hmm. To your point, I want something great for you. And I had already started to doubt that. So what do you say to a woman who's saying, I... I want to believe that someone is designed for me in the fullness of my authentic self. And yet I'm starting to struggle with hope. Yeah. The individual work necessary to retain that hope Mm 
or rediscover that hope is significant because when we have some patterns that have developed or some repetitive breakdowns in those relationships and all of a sudden we just have that expectation, negative assumption, this isn't going to work anyway. I might as well compromise now in these early stages and see how it goes. We're self-defeating then, right? Self-fulfilling prophecy, that relationship has no shot. So working with a therapist or someone that you trust, some some of us have really good best friends that can be honest, Mm -hmm. but sometimes we don't want to hear. (laughs) One of these clients said, my sister loves me more than anybody, knows me better than anybody, better than my parents do, better. And she told me right up front, this is not right. This is going to be a terrible experience. And she denied it. And they're repairing that relationship now. But those kind of things are super important. And when I do work in the college scene here and and give a whole intimate relationships, you know, dating night with all the campus, uh, we talk about these warning signs. Mm-hmm. of if there's cruel behavior early, get out. If there's ever any physical threats or physical activity, you got to get out. You can't compromise those Maslow hierarchy of needs on safety, security. How in the world can you get to the upper stages of actualization and belonging and love? And, and intimacy. Absolutely. How can you, be you can't have it. No. It, it's not If I don't possible. feel safe with you, we can't be intimate yeah. on any level. And certainly not intimate to the to depth of intimacy we want with our person, with our marriage. And so we got to, as soon as we feel those things, and we're using pretty dramatic example here, but even these misalignments with how we view education, for example, if we have that misalignment and we don't talk about it, it just grows as an issue rather than lessons. We're like, well, if I just ignore it or block, it's not going to matter. And it, and it does. And, and so those, those factors are so significant. And as soon as we sense them or feel this isn't quite right, or I'm not sure how I feel about this, we got to act on it. And sometimes we just don't want the trauma. We don't want the drama. We don't want the crisis. We don't want the fight or the argument. And we get so fearful, we actually remove. And that's when we start sacrificing. So I know to your listeners, it might sound like, well, this is a ridiculous amount of work. But once you kind of get that filter and appropriately recognize your authentic self and say, this is who I am, this is what I need, that lens can drive you. But if you don't have that and it's nebulous and you're just saying, well, I just want him to be a nice guy. Well, there's a ton of nice guys out there you shouldn't marry. Right. And vice versa for the ladies. So I, I think it's significant work and you need someone in that core with you to say, this is true. This is valid. This is right. And some, some folks don't have a lot of that either. So that sounds mm-hmm. scary and sad. And then I say, you look for professionals mm-hmm. to walk that through with you. Mm-hmm. And what you're speaking to really brings us back to values, which is something you and I have talked about quite a bit on the program. And I think it's, it's worth speaking to again today because these values of how do you want to do life together? And I remember Kate, my best friend from high school, saying that when I was single, she was in a, a good marriage and they're still married and very happy. And she said, you know, so much of the rhetoric out there, a lot of it comes down to how do you want to do life? Because if you have the same vision for your lives together mm-hmm. now, if you have the same goals and dreams, it's just less to fight about. And those are all grounded in values. So when you talk mm-hmm. about education, whatever people want to do with education, but do you have similar notions of the value of education and how you see it in your lives as a couple? Because that might mean one of you is going to go to grad school and the other one's going to have to work and put the one through. Or what are we going to do with our children? Are we going to pay for college? Are we not going to pay for college? Again, whatever the case may be is fine, Mm -hmm. but it's those values that are in alignment. And of course, this gets back to the research. And of course, it gets back to the reality that, and I remember this from a marital course, and we've talked about it too, that the more we have in common, the less we have to fight about, period. And opposites may attract, and that might seem really thrilling and sexy when you're dating, but when it comes to doing this 
relationship forever. Let's have less to fight about. Yeah, personality and temperament opposites, great. Value opposites, right. terrible. No, horrible. So there's different things to be oppositional in and to allow that division of experience and background and personality experience. But if one of you really values time and the other doesn't, that's a massive issue. If someone really values faith and the other doesn't, that's a massive issue. And so they might seem abstract and vague, but they have so much power, they will uproot and, and blow up everything. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm thinking again, how do, I, how do I express to your listeners about understanding authentic self mm-hmm. um, and, and knowing somehow, sometimes right when we go into a particular restaurant, that's going to sound like a weird example, and we know what kind of food we want, and then we get the order and it's not that good, but our best friend's with us and they love it. Mm-hmm. And now the next week they want to go back. What do you do? Right. Do you do it for the love of that best friend that right. loved that particular meal and you hated it or you thought this was not good at all? And so sometimes the simple truth to self to even admit our likes and dislikes or, mm-hmm. or how we feel about this particular scenario or situation, if there's not this layered intimacy understanding, you can't get to the deeper soul commitment. It'll just keep blocking you over and over. Well, with this example, so would you see this as values in conflict? Because my value to maintain my connection with my friend and hey, also part of that is let them have the restaurant that they like many mm-hmm. times. But then the other value is like, I don't want to be phony with my friend. So exactly. that, that would be a values in conflict. Yeah. And so if the value is the friendship, you talk through it. Yeah. Just like, Rather than just say, you know. Well, oh yeah, I loved it too. It was a great place. Right. That's, exactly. So let's go being, again. Let's go right. every single Friday for the rest of our lives. <laughs> right. So yeah, I'm I'm saying those values are super important in the value of the friendship. The value of eating together is fantastic. But what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Are we willing to be honest and have integrity in our communication? And a lot of times I know I work in a skewed environment sometimes with couples learning how to get married and then couples that are in big trouble. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there's just this refusal to be upfront, honest, opinionated. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't teach compromise. You've heard me say that before. I do Mm. not teach compromise. I teach negotiation. Negotiate your desires. Negotiate your wants and needs. Not compromise. Compromise means I'm giving up a part of myself. It's not scriptural either. There's nothing in scripture tells us, oh yeah, go around compromising your faith. Compromise your values. Compromise Mm. your relationship. That's just not there. So learning to say up front, you know, I want to hang out with you. I want to have a good time with you. I don't want to ever eat at that restaurant again. Let's pick a different one and find <laughs> one we both love. That's That sounded really harsh in the connection, but I think those things are important. And if, if it doesn't happen with things as light as a, a restaurant, how's it going to happen in your sex life? How's it going to happen with your money issues? Those things are hugely important to walk through. And even in the dating scenario, to be upfront with grace, with truth, and maybe even expressing your values. Yeah. Having been in this space now for the last five years with the podcast, something that I think I should have done more as a single woman is to, because I thought kind of like what you were saying earlier, I think sometimes I minimize just how critical those values were and getting them really concrete. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a really wise idea. And I was curious if you would recommend this as a therapist to write down. Oh, this, absolutely. These are like non-negotiables. These can't, there's just no getting. Ask some of your clients. We'll yeah. put them in thirds. These things absolutely have to be there. Mm-hmm. These I can work with. These don't matter. So it yeah. sounds like a simple, you know, right. it sounds why am too, I paying someone to do that? Well, right, right, right. if you can go through these yourself mm-hmm. and be honest and receive feedback based on the experiences or go to your friend about that, super important. Another area that makes these so important to not only write down, but to reflect upon is that past relational traumas skew these. And and so then if you have a massive father wound, this case of the client I've been telling you about the last couple of days has a pretty significant absent father. And so looking for those kind of connections and saying, well, 
man, I wonder if I can help this man when I couldn't help my father and recapitulating wounds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of your clients that came through your podcast have come to me specific for that. I know I have this father wound. Mm -hmm. I know it's blocking my dating life now and my belief in men or my belief in a particular man. And you got to walk through that stuff, talk about it and write some Mm -hmm. things out and list some things out and name the trauma and rename it and forgive. There's just a ton of work there, Mm -hmm. but those wounds will, will block. They will inhibit. Mm -hmm. And keep you then again, circling back to how we started from your authentic self. You're not really being authentic because you're wounded and you're, if you don't heal from those wounds, you identify in it. Even if you're, even if you're denying it, even if you're saying, I don't really have any wounds, I've just dated six straight alcoholics well, then you're going to come out in that exact same identification, even though you're trying not to. It's like the very thing that we're trying not to name owns us, has that power over Mm -hmm. us. So bringing it out, talking through it, name it. Mm -hmm. This is a part of you, a part of your past, but it's not your identity. It's not who you are now. And it's not who you are going forward. How do I believe that? How do I receive that? How do I heal from that wound so that I can step into health? Because right now, like you said, I'm still trying to fix the pain and the woundedness mm. from childhood in the present day. Or avoid it in the present. And therefore I'm not honest with self or honest mm-hmm. with this boyfriend mm-hmm. who's saying some things or doing some things I know aren't right, mm-hmm. are triggering me, but I'm afraid to confront and challenge mm-hmm. myself or him. And our, our, our podcast we did, the father and mother wound, I think were very helpful in that mm-hmm. and dive into that much more fully. Mm-hmm. And we'll link those in the show notes so that anyone who's listening and wants to just find those real quick. And the divorce wound we did. Yep, we did. Yep. yep. So, and we have an upcoming, we'll do a little teaser. Mm-hmm. We're going to do the spiritual wound. Yep. And wanna, and yeah, I just want to talk little, about the spiritual yeah. wound that scripture says that God put eternity in all of our hearts and that every single person's made in his image. So whether you are a full-fledged Christ follower or you're atheist, it doesn't matter. God made you, created you in his image and we're meant with a capacity to worship him. And if we're not worshiping him, we'll worship somebody else or something else. And so therefore, in my opinion, especially with this younger generation, which I love and I minister to all the time, so I'm not anti-Gen Z. And you have kids in this Gen Z. I sure do. You got four of them. (laughs) I'm not against it by any means, but I think in particular, that group tends to be wrestling with this idea and this context or concept of who is God and how am I reacting to him? Mm -hmm. And therefore, there's often a gigantic spiritual wound that I've found with a lot of clients who are coming for a father wound or a mother wound or a trauma wound or a divorce wound. And then we find that this spiritual wound is there as well. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a lot about it in depth. I really look forward to that episode. I think it's going to be a real key, a key concern that I think many will be aware that they are wrestling with. And some may go, oh, wait, that may be something yeah. I need to start to put some intentional effort toward unpacking that because it's maybe something that's not on their radar. But as you put it, it's definitely part of the human condition. The yeah, and I think designed. COVID brought that out stronger. So I think COVID made people kind of look around and figure out more and, and where was God in that? So there's lots of things we can talk right. about theologically and spiritually about that. But the spiritual wound, to get it applicable to this particular yeah. podcast, is another wound that plays out for sure in these relationships, do I believe God has a loving relationship in store for me? I would want that for me. Even if I've had these sins or mistakes I've made in the past that I knew weren't right, I knew they weren't holy, I knew they were even sinful, if we want to use that language, what do I believe about God Mm -hmm. and his love for me, his forgiveness Mm -hmm. for me, and his desire for me to have our hearts fulfilled? That's what scripture teaches us, that God wants our very deepest hearts Mm -hmm. fulfilled. That in itself is encouraging. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. 
Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events, and it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free empowered dating playbook. Just to recap, we talked about the authentic self and these all relate, they intertwine. And then we talked about how to have that hope and belief that you just spoke to a moment ago. And this is all related to our values and that if we are more clear with our values, we take some time to clarify them in the context of therapy or with a best friend who's able to go there with us, that that helps us then also understand, like you're saying, we can have more of a filter. And again, that sounds, I'm not trying to sound like, well, he's not for me. Well, no, he's not for you. That doesn't make you bougie or Mm -hmm. trying to think you're too good for anybody. It's just, these are my values. This person's essence, behaviors, thoughts, their own value system aren't in alignment. Let's just save each other the heartbreak and go in a different direction. Or just clarify them simple enough that the man has an opportunity in this case to maybe change and maybe grow rather than hoping it'll happen in the future or assuming it might happen in the future. Okay, you're getting me nervous now, though, because I'm seeing a woman be like, I'll change him. I'll be the one. that's my point. He's got to change. And if you're not seeing it, his words don't matter. Right. Right. So if he's saying this kind of thing is important or this is a value and it's not happening, because I'm also recognizing a woman's nurturance and her bonding and her connection that is deeply rooted in her desire to care for and influence empathically, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful, but that often blocks our rational thinking. Well, see, I got caught up with that with one of my boyfriends who we'll call Dylan. Yeah. You know who I'm talking yes. about. So yeah. So there was that nurturing. And yeah. That, we get blocked. Yeah. So I got blocked and here I was a psychologist. So yeah, it's easy. It happens. Yeah. So I think what I like, this goes back to the authenticity. So in those first couple of days, we are demonstrating who we are. We're presenting that to the person and giving him the opportunity to see if this is a fit for him. And he hit at that point, this is not me being like, at some level, oh, I'm going to be the one who can nurture him and love him enough to help him change, to help yeah. him be the man he's supposed to be. Now, that's God's job and his job. Right. And in fact, if he's a fixer-upper and you get him fixed up, eventually he's going to start to resent you probably because probably. <laughs> because his- Unequal power distribution right from the get-go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So when you say that, I'm going to just make sure that we're being real, real mm-hmm. clear. We're talking about you present yourself in a genuine way, not like first date. Hi, so here are my values and just to see if you, right. But just through your conversations in the first couple months, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. That your authentic self is then being expressing your values authentically and you see what he does with that. I mean, ideally, Mm -hmm. he's also right there. But if not, you would say give him a couple months. I mean, I'm still like hesitant to say this because it sounds like maybe, I know, because I don't want to say that someone doesn't have the opportunity to go, you know what? I've been kind of, you know, like dad, dad would have Mm -hmm. said, and he said it many times. He said, you know, I was playing jazz. I was Mm -hmm. about to go to Europe on a jazz tour. And then I met your mother and here she was, and she was solid and firm in her sense of self. And this Mm -hmm. is the life I want. And he looked at both and he almost went to Europe. And then he was like, you know what? I don't want that. That's that, that those days are over. What I want is what this woman and I will have together and build together so that would be an opportunity. Mm-hmm. But that was, you know, they met in September and got engaged in December right. and got married in it's June. Also, yes, also we do not recommend that. <laughs> but that would be an example, example yeah, yeah. Of, of, of man changing appropriately, not 
Because he wanted it too. Once he saw that available to him, he went, oh yeah, this is actually what I want. But there wasn't that unequal power structure. Well, yeah, and that was one of the things you and I talked about with you was you need a high level professional. Just because your intellect, your charisma, your energy, your passion, no offense to other guys who weren't executive minded or spirited, that wasn't going to work. And that was your brother on a very transactional saying, hey, don't even talk to me about any of these guys anymore until you got someone yeah. like your husband. You did get to that someone point. Someone this high level. <laughs> and I've worked with some of your executives that have come to see me and said the same thing. Yeah. And again, that can sound really crass to some people. Right. It sounds It sounds in a way that it's not. It sounds like, I'm too good for you. It's not the point at all. It's not just trying to balance and, and be in similar values and understanding and experience that relates so easily, like you said, that it takes away some of these other variables that can be so tricky to even understand. Yes. And... Because of the way that I was wired and the way that many of the women in my community are wired, it gets back to that safety. Mm. I wasn't going to fully feel safe enough to be my authentic self until I felt I was with a man who was strong enough mm-hmm. and capable enough to hold me. To be right there. Yep. To be right there. And when men pursue, they sometimes don't reveal full self. And so women can get blocked on that pursuit. And that's why we have to be thorough with men and keep challenging and bringing things up. Challenging meaning just learn more. And understand more because when they're on the pursuit, sometimes they're putting the best self forward without the true self. Mm -hmm. And sometimes a woman then receives that and is also putting the best self out, which is wonderful. These aren't negative, but there has to be the depth of, hmm, that didn't sound right or this didn't fit right. I got to bring it up and just talk it through. And that just takes time. It does. And it takes many dates rather than two dates in saying, this is the guy forever. Boom. We're off. We do not advocate for the whirlwind romance here on Love and Life. <laughs> yeah, but it's understandable. It does it's, happen. Well, it's, infatuation yeah. is fun. Absolutely. And it can happen sometimes and it can work. But when we look statistically speaking, that there's also a great tendency for those to burn out because mm-hmm. your infatuation, your attraction is oftentimes coming from a wounded place where you don't even realize it. And with the older singles, I'm often talking to, to the ladies about how is he with his kids? Mm-hmm. If he's like estranged from two of his three kids, major red flag, Mm -hmm. right? If his kids are loving him and connected and they're independent adults, great. If he has three kids in their 20s still living at home without jobs, major trouble. There's something going on Mm -hmm. there. And certainly a past wife could have an influence there. But those are the kind of things that a woman's instinct would hear and see. And I know it would trouble her, but often she'll just, eh, Mm -hmm. something else going on. And then sure enough, three months later, it's like, oh my gosh, I understand what's going on. And and now we're in. Now we're in. And we're in far enough that it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. We're yeah. rooted deeper. Right. And as I tell clients all the time, you're already in. So quit saying, <laughs> well, it's going to hurt more. You're already in. You're already, oh, yeah. that's, that's the instinctual connection. That's yeah. wonderful. So don't try to repress it or deny it saying, well, if I, if I just go more, it's not going to matter. It's the opposite. Well, yeah. How often do we hear it? I just don't want to get hurt again. I'm like, okay, then you need to stop living right now because yeah. life in any capacity, it's, it's part of the human experience. And ultimately we know that those times when we've been through pain, we know that that's when we learn so many deep lessons we can't learn on the mountaintop. Yeah. And one of the clients, after a long time of hurt, did some healing, went into another relationship and boom, that one blew up quickly again. But rather than just giving up and blaming herself, she got right back on the horse quickly, forgave herself, recognized, evaluated, assessed, and boom, went right back in another one. Now this one looks really, really strong. We'll see. But it wasn't like this year and a half recovery necessary. So mm-hmm. I don't want your listeners to think, oh my goodness, after every relationship, right. I need to have like six years off and no. go to Tibet and become a monk for a while, first, <laughs> whatever. But there's really opportunity to kind of not move too quickly, but heal, recognize, assess, change, grow values and, and just move forward. 
authentically. Yeah. All right. To recap, we've got, we want to be mindful of our authentic self as single women who are looking to have an epic, great, incredible right. partnership marriage, as opposed to, well, we want to make it work. Number two, we want to maintain that hope and belief that this is in fact for us. And really evaluate and assess what are your beliefs and expectations and get those out and communicated. Which is linked to values, Mm -hmm. the value of how I intend to be in partnership and how I intend to be treated in partnership, respect for myself and my partner, the love of my life. And our families of origin make a huge impact there, negative or positive. Mm -hmm. But those value bases off our families are really hard to ignore. And if we don't, again, know them, communicate them and understand them, they're going to repeat negatively Mm -hmm. or bring some discord. Right. We want to unpack that a little bit so they come to the awareness because sometimes those values, we just think everyone acts right, that bring way. Bring them into the conscious. Right. And we had an episode on that too, where we talked about if we'll have that in the show notes as well. It's one about our family of origin mm-hmm. or is our family unconsciously sabotaging our love life, that sort yeah. of thing. And then number four, we're going to look at past relationship trauma if necessary and be real honest about how that may be asserting its influence in the present day. Yeah. If we have any doubt whether we've healed, we haven't. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So if you're feeling and you're listening right now and saying, oh, I don't think I've healed with my father or mother about that or a past relational, then you probably haven't. And even if you cried a bunch, sometimes I think we think, well, if I grieved about it enough, I'm healed. But if it's still impacting, it's still influential and we still feel those triggers. If you're having near panic attacks in the midst of a positive relationship, that's a sign there's some massive healing that still needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And number five, we are looking for someone with whom we feel safe, yes. which really encompasses the others. But it's something that I wasn't, as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't really thinking in those terms. But when you put it the way you did, honestly, I had not really thought about it to that level. Dan makes me feel safe because he is so, our values are aligned because he is such a, a doer and a and driver. Mm-hmm. And so that, and of course that was dad. So mm-hmm. I was like, yes, I feel safe in that context. Mm-hmm. This is a man who is man enough. He's got broad shoulders. I mean, he actually is kind of built. So that's also nice, but yeah. he's got broad shoulders that are, big enough so that I can be the fullness of me with all my opinions and all the things I yeah, want. And to no say. one would say Dan's as intellectually smart than you. And that's certainly not a, wait a minute. He's going to listen to this. Uh, you got to hear it. It's certainly <laughs> not a, a, but I think generally he's smarter. Okay. Sorry so. about that. His pragmatism, <laughs> his common sense. Oh, he's definitely smarter than me that way. So it's the, that's why I want people to go, well, if I'm super smart in this area, how do I find someone the exact smart? The smarts could be different. Right. Right. So, yes, you have more degrees than him, but holistically, the smarts matched. Oh, yeah. Right. And the professionalism matched. And and that's why I was saying that that context of how we balance our values is so, so important. Definitely. Elliot, thank you, as always, for joining me on the program. And we will have also links to where people can work with you, because I know this is going to stir up some stuff for some people and they may want to take advantage of your consultations. You said currently a lot of daytime hours available. Well, a lot strong, but there is some day, <laughs> there's some daytime you, wait, you hours have, available. We have a window of time between 12 and 1230. No, I right, know you're, some daytime, you're in high right. demand because you do good work and God has blessed you with gifts that you are sharing with the world and with, with our community. And so I want to thank you for that. And yeah, folks will reach out. And as well as folks can reach out and get your book, some of my books could help them as well. In particular, the first two romance novels I wrote are about this whole process mm. of authenticity and pursuit and reception and and how we need to find our true identity individually as we then try to join that together as couples. So those two are available through your site as well. Yes, they would be a perfect companion to this episode. Absolutely. All right. 
and I'm working on a third. And what are the titles of your books again? Well, The Return Home was the last one. Mm-hmm. And the first one was... Oh, I can't read my writing and you can't remember your books. The first one was... It's About Time. Thank you, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) Producer Tim came. And the first one is It's About Time. And the third one is called Love Evolves. The third one's called Love Evolves about a couple that is trying to decide whether to divorce or not. Because at the last marriage conference I did, some people came up and said, we loved your books. Can you write one about a couple already married going through some struggles, addictions, healing, how do they manage that? So that was encouraging that they asked for it. And so I'm working on that one. Yeah. Got to give the people what they want. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So let me pray over your listeners. Okay. Lord, thank you for this time to talk about how important it is to be our authentic self, that we're made in your image, beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made. And Lord, many of these listeners are looking for that love relationship, that romantic connection and partnership that really nurtures and encourages and inspires and just feels right and safe and holy and helps them grow and become the fullness of themselves and to feel safe and secure. So I pray that you would help them to navigate their values, their expectations, their understandings, to be willing to assess even while they enjoy the pursuit and the reception and to be true to self and understand their values and their authentic self and not to sacrifice or compromise those, even when that leads to some breakups and some loneliness or some grieving that is difficult. It will, Lord, bring its reward. And so we pray that for any of your listeners in that endeavor. And thank you for the opportunity to share and communicate with my sister and on this podcast. Amen. Amen. The love and life hack for this week is it's not about finding someone with whom you can just make it work. It's about finding someone with whom you can have a great marriage. I think back to how Ellie says to couples when they come in and say, we just want to make it work. And he's like, then I'm not the therapist for you. I love this sentiment because we're not shooting for mediocre in love and life. We are shooting for epic. Thank you so much for celebrating National Unmarried and Single Americans Week with us. I hope you've enjoyed the additional programming. I know I've enjoyed the conversations with all our guests this week. Please let me know if there's any books you've been reading or authors you'd like me to invite onto the program. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Until next time. Make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.